Let's read in Hebrews what the Bible says about approval. Real briefly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time right here, although you should spend a lot of time right there. In Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, you, uh, we read Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the Faith Hall of Fame, and, and, and it's wonderful, it teaches us so much, but you also have to understand that all of this happened in a certain order. And uh, this book was not written in sections, it was written as one letter. And it was written to a letter of people, like I've said before, some of them who hadn't made their choice whether they were going to fully follow Jesus. Some of them wanted to stay with their culture and with their society and with their family who was very firmly planted in the old Jewish ways. Some of them hadn't made the jump. And that's why the writer of Hebrews has to say things like, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, there's not going to remain for you another sacrifice. That's why he has to say, since Jesus inaugurated a new way, the old way is going away. He's having to show them that there's, you can't straddle the fence anymore. You've got to make a choice. And in the end, he says, that, uh, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, right at the end there, he says that uh, several of them have had to make the choice to leave their families, leave their homes, leave their culture. And he says, but Jesus left the, the he, he bore your reproach, your shame, outside of the camp. Now you bear his shame, his reproach, outside of the camp. You go out and meet him there, outside of the camp, outside of your friends, outside of your family even sometimes, outside of your culture, you choose to stand out. Hebrews chapter 10, you've got to understand that uh, many of these believers who made their choice were being deeply persecuted both by the Romans and the Jews. Their stuff was getting taken away. Their jobs were getting taken away. And it says this in verse 32 of chapter 10, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. So people were being very unkind to them, and that's a bit of an understatement. They were being persecuted, mocked, uh, treated badly. And it says, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You know, we, we underestimate this in our day and age, but it's very important. When others are bearing the shame and reproach of their belief in Christ, it is so important to identify with them. It's so important to join with them and don't let them stand alone, even if it makes you unpopular. Amen. Boy, you faced that when you were in junior high. I remember that. Some of the people that were harshest about my belief were other believers who were closet believers. You got to make a choice. Pick a side, guys. And they said, some of you bore this reproach because people knew you were believers. And some of you, you weren't outed. People were, people were leaving you alone. But when you saw one of your brothers and sisters mistreated, you identified with them. That's important. We won't spend too much time on that. You became sharers with those who were so treated. It says, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. They must know something. They must know something. If they're accepting joyfully their property being taken away, they know something nobody else knows. Knowing that you, here's what they knew, that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Thank God. You take away everything I own. I'm still richer. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that you, when you've done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. 
For yet in a very little while He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Unless you go, "Uh uh-oh, is that me? He says this, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. When he says we're not of those, it's kind of like talking about your 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 roots, your 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 history. When you say our people have never shrunk back, it's kind of that kind of statement. It's reminding you of your heritage. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11 he begins to speak of their heritage. Not of their Jewish heritage, but of the heritage of faith. Talks about Abraham, talks about Isaac, talks about Noah, talks about Moses, talks about the heritage that we have as people of faith. He says, we're not of those who shrink back. Here's who we're of. Here's our tribe. Here's our people. The people of God, the people of faith. He says in chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance, assurance, guys, of things hoped for. The conviction. Do you know what conviction is? There's no more doubt anymore. I am convinced, I am convicted that this is the truth. The conviction of things not seen. For by it... By what? Faith. The men of old gained approval. Who approved of these guys? Not their buddies. (laughs) I mean, some of them, it says they they had to walk alone sometimes. It says that Moses had to choose, rather than living in the house with princes, rather than living in Pharaoh's house, he had to choose to identify with the people of God, for he thought that was better than, than enjoying the pleasures of sin. It says that, that Noah, by faith, had to build an ark when everybody called him crazy, and everybody thought he was a lunatic. He had to go alone. It says that Abraham could have lived in the tent, in the cities. He was in Canaan. There were big cities with nice houses. It says instead he chose to live in tents. Because he was seeking a city whose builder is God. He didn't want to live with those people. He wanted to live where God told him to live. So, these people of faith, we admire them, but sometimes they were a little unpopular. They had to stand and say, I, this is how, I mean, whose approval counts? It says, by faith they gained approval. So the approval we're talking about is the approval of God. Thank God. The reward they were seeking was not the reward of people clapping for them. The reward they were seeking was the reward of heaven. There were some really cool things. I mean, the Scripture talks about this too. Jesus said, hey, look at these guys. They're praying so that people see them. Because the, the culture he was ministering to was a culture where, where obvious religion was, was applauded. It was looked up. I mean, this was... In the area that he preached, if you were a priest or a, if you were a, um, a rabbi, you were looked look up. I mean, people admired you. And so if you prayed long, fancy prayers, they thought, oh, he's holier than I am. And uh, he says, those people that are doing it for the applause of men, that are doing it for people's approval, they've already got the reward. But he says, when you do things not for people to approve, but for God, he says, you've got a different reward. Your reward is in heaven. There's an actual reward that God offers his people when they choose that. I mean, it doesn't matter what people think of me. I'm going after his approval. I care what he thinks. Of course, you know you're you're approved through Jesus. I mean, you know that that, uh, the reason that I'm able to stand in front of him is not because of all the fancy things I did, but because of what Jesus did. At the same time, I say, because of what Jesus did, because of my standing with God, I care more what He thinks than anyone else. That's what the fear of God is. 
Fear of God is not being scared of Him. Fear of God is a reverence, an honor, acknowledging Him above everything else. It means that God's opinion matters and nobody else's does. Unless they agree with God. Now, you, I'm not telling you to be all weird and say, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm just going to tell people that God told me to do it. And then, then how can they argue? No, of course we know we know God's thoughts because we have His Word. And so you, you do something contrary to this and you say, well, God told me to do it. That doesn't, that doesn't hold, in my book at least. Uh, so we have to understand we know His voice. Not everything that you're ever going to do in your life is written in this book, but the guidelines and the Word that's put in this book will guide you into the decision, will guide you into His will. And you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you which knows the will of God, which reveals the will of God. And uh, thank God we can walk in His will and seek His pleasure and seek His will. And so he says, by this, by faith, men of old gained approval. They certainly didn't gain the approval of their brothers. They didn't gain the approval of their friends. They gained the approval of God. And it was more important to them. I want you to read something in John chapter 12. And some of the stuff we've talked about, but it bears repeating. Pick a side. Because we're going into the things that have been promised. I believe you're going to be people who imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. I believe you're going into what God's called you to. I believe that you will do everything He's put in your heart to do. But there will be a point when you're going to have to choose to believe God above all that you see and above all that you hear and above what some of even your friends might say. That's good to surround yourself with good friends that, that will encourage you in the faith. And, and you know, it's also good to have wise friends that, that also can hear the voice of God that sometimes when you get off course and you think something's the right thing to do that, that might be able to help you get back on track. We have to be humble as well and remember that, you know, in the counsel of many witnesses, sometimes the Bible says in, in, in two or three witnesses, there we find the truth. There's, there's, there's the fact that's established. So we know that if God's told you something, I believe that He can confirm it through other people. Uh, but you have to be careful who you listen to. Are these people of faith or these people uh, just, uh, these just people who think they're people of faith? <laughs> Anyways, John chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 35. So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. The reason the light's not going to be with them much longer in the sense uh, that he's speaking of is that he will soon die be risen again, and then ascend to the Father. They won't have Him physically there teaching Him. So He's saying, believe in Me while I'm here, and I'll make you sons of light, and the light will be with you even when I'm gone. That's the promise. These things Jesus spoke, and He went away, and He hid Himself from them. But though He had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in Him. We think that miracles will change everybody's mind, but I think history's proven that's not necessarily true. Miracles do confirm the word, but they confirm the word in an open heart. To a hardened heart, Abraham said, and as Jesus told the story, Abraham told the rich man from, as he looked over from paradise into hell, Abraham said, if they didn't believe the law and the prophets, they won't even believe a man come back from the dead. And that was proven when Jesus 
rose Lazarus from the dead after three, after, I mean, four days of being dead. He raises him from the dead, and they decide, well, now we have to kill both of them. How dumb is that? That's, that's your cue. That's the clue, guys. Oops. We've been wrong. We should follow this guy. But instead they go, oh, now we've got to shut them both up. And they, they acknowledged that he had performed signs. That word signs in the original language means attesting or proving miracles. In other words, they acknowledged he proved who he was. But their hearts were so hard that they couldn't accept it. And they decide to kill him rather than, than admit they were wrong. So there will be people that though they see miracles, though, they, though they, there's proof abounding that God is genuinely saying what, he's, what you're saying. He's saying that God really, this is His will, that, that He's not dead, He's alive. There's going to be hard-hearted people. Expect that. Expect also that God can soften hearts that have been hard for a long time. But don't be discouraged when you encounter a hard heart. Because even Jesus did, and He's the best preacher out of all of us. You know, I don't get hurt anymore. If uh, somebody just doesn't quite get what I'm saying, somebody just disagrees with what I'm saying, and, and I've genuinely preached out of the Bible, and I didn't add my opinion, but I genuinely preached from here, and they still don't accept it, I don't get my feelings hurt anymore. Because even Jesus had a ton of people that didn't like him. So, you know, don't get your feelings hurt so easy. Just, just do what God tells you to do. Here's what he says. Though he performed many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, who spoke, Lord, who has believed a report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, for Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. Now when he quotes this, Jesus actually quotes this in another place, and he says it a little bit different. He says, You've hardened your heart, you've closed your eyes. So you say, Well, which is true? Did God harden it, or did they? There's an old saying that says, the same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. I'm going to explain that because you're like, okay, I didn't come to hear Confucius, so I don't get that. Uh, what, what that means is, is that uh, in every instance, he talks about the Israelites. He said, you shut your eyes. He said, you closed your heart. You closed your ears, so now you can't see. He quotes the same verse after that. And so who, who closed their eyes first? Who did it? Well, I believe that they did. They heard the word. God's not a respecter of persons. They closed their eyes. But then once you've made your decision and you've turned that corner and you've hardened something, even when God, when God speaks to you and you've got a hard heart and you refuse to be softened, what He says to you will further harden you unless you turn, unless you repent. That what happens is the word of God, as cool as it is, will soften a heart that's open and it'll harden a heart that's closed. So he says they could not believe. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Nevertheless, listen to this. Many even of the rulers believed in him. The rulers meaning the rulers of the synagogue. These are kind of like the local pastors, even though it's a different system. These are kind of like the, in every village there was the ruler of the synagogue. He was the chief guy. He was the guy that kind of ran the operation. It says the rulers, many of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. You'd lose your respect, you'd lose your job. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. 
And you've got to pick one of those. I know in our dreams and our fantasies, when you, when you fantasize these great moments, I'll stand in front of thousands. God will be happy and everybody else will be happy. They'll all pat me on my back and go, you know, you're a blessing to all of us and we're so glad God sent you to planet Earth. Thank God for you. It doesn't happen that way. For every thousand that like you, there are 10,000 that don't. But what matters more to you? The approval of men or the approval of God? Pick a side. And I'll tell you, when God approves, when you're walking in His will and His favor, it doesn't matter what people think. You've got to open your heart to God's approval. You know, really, you've got to know His love. You've got to know His, His heart towards you because if you can't be convinced of His love, you're not going to be able to pour it out anywhere else. If you can't be convinced of His love, you're going to be constantly looking for it somewhere else. A believer who knows who they are in Christ and knows that God loves them and knows that they are a child of the King, they're not going to need everybody to tell them what they are. They're not going to need everybody to tell them, well, I like you, I love you. They're going to know who they are. You've got to be so secure in what He thinks about you that you could have people say to your face, you are ugly, you are stupid, and you still smile. And you go, nobody's like that. Well, you can be. Think of Moses. What a guy. Every time the people got mad at God, they realize that we can't see God. And he's probably way up there. So they don't pick up rocks and throw them at the sky. They pick up rocks and throw them at Moses. How's that for fair? That's not fair, guys. I led you this far. And they say stupid things like, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why did you make us come out here to die? This is Moses that has, uh, has caused water to come out of a rock that caused the sea to split. And after it split and they walked through, it drowned the army that was chasing them. This is the guy that when they were stupid and started complaining and moaning and grumbling, snakes came out and bit them. And instead of dying, Moses likes them enough to go to God and say, please don't let them die. And God goes, okay, make a statue, a rod with a serpent around and as they look at it they'll live and not die and Moses did that for you and yet the next minute you get upset with God because you've had, you didn't have enough meat and protein in your diet you want to kill him does that make any sense but you know what a lack of faith does not make sense when you really look at it fear doesn't make sense you notice that when people are afraid they do stupid things Keep your head about you. Keep your heart. Don't let your heart melt. Because when your heart melts, you say and do ridiculously stupid things. Things that don't make sense. It's not, you know, I mean, it's not unusual because you're afraid. You ever seen somebody that's drowning? I hope not. I mean, like, I hope you saved them if they were. <laughs> <laughs> I remember helping somebody that, that seemed to be like they could not swim. And you know the danger is you have to be a strong swimmer. Why? Because when they're drowning, they're not thinking, and they will take you down with them. They're not thinking, oh, I'm going to stay calm and let you drag me to the shore. They're fighting. They're, they're clawing at your face. They're dunking your head under, and you're, you're going, I'm trying to help you. Because fear 
does not make for a smart person. And when we, when we act in fear rather than faith, you lose your wits, you lose your heart, you, you start to run when you're already winning. This is just what happens. And uh, so they, they did some stupid things, but, but the, the core of it was that they cho- chose to believe what they could see. They chose to, to go with the crowd instead of saying, this is what God said and we believe Him. Yes. You've got to say... I will believe God. No, everybody else says no. Everybody else starts to run. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to endure because I believe that God is bigger than all of this. And as the Apostle Paul said, the Apostle Paul didn't say, I know what I believed. He doesn't say, I know where I believed. He said, I know in whom I have believed. I know the one I've believed in, and he is faithful to keep and guard what I've entrusted to him. You've got to at some point get beyond what you believe. Because often when you say, I know what I believe, that, that's up here. That's in your brain. You've figured out your doctrine. You can argue with anybody. You can answer Bible trivia. You can win Bible baseball. But that's not enough. You've got to at some point be convinced who you've believed. I know Him. He's faithful. Because all your knowledge, if it didn't sink down to your heart, you're not going to use it when you're afraid. What's going what's gonna to really come out when you're afraid and when bad news comes and when things seem to be crashing is what's been put in there and stored in that heart. And that's why when planes go down, that's why when disaster strikes, you find out what people are really made of because you will find out that the unbelievers, such profane and terrible things come out of their mouths. But to the believer, they call on the name of the Lord. This is why you build your house before the storm. That's why Jesus said the wise man built his house on the rock and when the storm came, it stood. He's saying you don't build a a house in the middle of the storm. You build it way before the storm comes. You establish your faith in God way before anything goes wrong so that when things go wrong, you don't run away. You don't run away like a sissy. You don't start crying because you think God's forsaken you. You know deep down my foundation is secure. My God is my rock. And as he said to the the people of Israel, he says, Do you know of any other rock? I know of none. That's what God said. Is there any other rock? I know of none. There's no rock besides our God. I want to read you something out of Galatians. You don't need to turn there because it's just a short little bit. We won't stay long. We'll get you through this. Galatians 1, he says this. In verse 10, he's being pressured to preach something different. He's being pressured to change the gospel. He's being pressured to go along with the crowd. And he says this, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I was still trying to please people I would not be a bondservant of Christ I'm going to pick who am I trying to please we're going to close with this in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 5 verse 12 It says, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord at Solomon's portico. Oh, wow, isn't that awesome? Though the world might have been against them, the church stood together. 
That's huge. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. <laughs> Nobody ever dared to associate with them. However, many, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and what? They were all being healed. Such power. It says, But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Listen to that. Speak the whole message of this life. Where? In the temple. Where the, where the, right in the middle of where they're going to be looking for you. Right, right where you got caught the last time. You know, he, I mean, he's not saying go underground, guys. He springs him from prison and goes, yeah, you're going to be back here probably. Just go back to the temple and preach. Now there were men and women in this church and they all had guts and they all had spines of steel. And I pray that we would be people like them who the Lord springs us out of prison and we march right back into the city and preach in the public and say, what are you going to do to us? We got out last time. <laughs> angel opens the door and goes go right back guys now when the high priest and his associates came they called the council together even all the senate of the sons of Israel and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought but the officers who came did not find them in the prison and they returned and reported back saying we found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors can you imagine being those guards standing at the doors thinking everybody's still inside how embarrassing boy was their face red and the guards were still standing at the doors. Uh, but when we had opened it up, we found no one inside. Hogan. I mean, this is embarrassing. Old reference, I'm sorry. Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed, you'd think, about them as to what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, uh, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So what do they do? Do they acknowledge that, oh, maybe we were wrong? No. They go, then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. So they wanted to throw in a few punches, but they knew that that wouldn't, wouldn't, that wouldn't fly. When they brought them in, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, uh, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name. And yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. These are the same guys who said, may his blood be upon us. But that's another story for another time. <laughs> but Peter and the apostles answered, we must, listen to that word, we must, not we should, not, not it's a good idea, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers 
raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He's the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's so good. He says we're witnesses, but we don't have to witness or testify alone. We are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, anytime you bear witness to God, anytime you share the gospel, anytime you stand up and testify on God's behalf, you're not standing alone. You're standing with the Holy Spirit. He goes, we're witnesses and so is the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Whom God has given to those who obey Him. But When they had heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. There's a brief period and we, we see in this section of verse uh, the argument that goes on within the council and Gamaliel offers some wisdom we're going to skip for the sake of time I encourage you to go back and read that he said we'd, it'd be better what if we're fighting against God let's not risk it he said if, it, if it's of God it'll keep going if it's not it'll fizzle out And so they listen and in verse 40 they took his advice and after calling the apostles in they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus as if that was going to work again and then released them so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. This is a different breed. Now, when it says suffer shame, I want to tell you what the original language says. The word suffer, it's a bit of a bad word. That word right there, it should literally be interpreted to join yourself to. It's the word to join. To join themselves to His shame. Because Jesus was being spoken against. Jesus was being persecuted. And you've got to realize when you're persecuted for Jesus Christ, you're not being persecuted. He's being persecuted. And we choose whether I join with their rebellion or whether I join with Jesus Christ and bear His shame. But the Bible says if I bear His shame, if I join in His shame, if I join in His reproach, I join in His glory. See, you get, it's, it's a package deal. God's not asking you just to get the bad stuff. He's saying, join with me. You want all that I am? Sometimes you're going to have to put up with people who don't like me. But pick a side. Pick a side. Who do you care most about? Whose opinion matters to you, mine or theirs? So they were rejoicing that they'd been considered worthy to be joined in His shame. Can you believe that? It was an honor. I mean, it's not an honor. The Bible says it, it's, not, it's not really good. If, you're, if you did something wrong and people persecute you, you've got nothing to be proud of. But he says if you're being persecuted for doing good, then you can rejoice in that. Uh, so you don't need to be rejoicing. I mean, if you go around being a jerk and people don't like you because you're a jerk, that's your issue. But if people are persecuting you because they don't like the, the life in you, they don't like the love in you, they don't like Jesus Christ in you, then rejoice and feel a sense of honor that they would even dare to associate you with Him. That, oh my goodness, this is an honor. I, can, I, was, I was just, it was better than I could have hoped for that, that the reason you're, you don't like me is because you don't like Jesus. I am honored that I'd be mentioned in the same sentence as Him. Join myself in His shame for His name. And it says this in verse 42. And every day in the temple, 
They don't learn, do they? In the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. (laughs) See, when you fear God, you don't fear men. And I believe that we're going to be a group of fearless believers. In this church and in many other churches around Lloydminster, I believe the fearless believers, the ones that are believing God and care more about His opinion than, than anybody else's, are going to rise up and band together and join together and testify of His great name. And when that happens, they can't threaten you with anything. Jesus said they may throw you in prison, they may, they may even put people to death, but they can't harm a hair on your head. In other words, what really matters, they can't touch. When you're fearless, I mean, it makes you fearless. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. And I don't mean fear God like think if I do something wrong, He's going to smack me. Look at the d- definition of a man that fears the Lord. That's somebody who reverences God and says, your opinion is the only one that matters. And before I do anything, I'll seek your will. And before I say anything, I'll listen to what you have to say. And before I do anything, I'll watch you do it. And they threaten me, I'm honored. They, they don't like me, I'm honored because at least I know where my approval comes from. 